0: We turn our attention now to the living Word of God, found in our Bibles, the Word that imparts life. We turn to Hebrews, the ninth chapter, where I will begin reading this morning once again in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 9. If you would, follow along as I read. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience? from dead works, to serve the living God. Would you bow in prayer with me this morning as we prepare our hearts for his word? Dear Lord God, our Father, O righteous one, blessed of Israel and the blesser of Israel and the nations. We turn our attention to you this morning and pray for a fixed focus. Guard our wandering minds from wandering. Guard our wayward hearts from going astray even during the preaching of your word, Lord. Protect us from the weakness of our own flesh that we might listen, hear, Learn and obey the words that we find here. May you be honored by what is done in the pulpit and what is done in the pew and what is done when we leave when we go our way into this world. May the words that we learned this morning affect us and affect our ministries to a lost and dying world. May this hope you're giving us today spread from our lips across this world. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. As we turn to chapter 9 of Hebrews, we began an adventure, a number of adventures. We've taken a trip to the museum. We've looked at the mock-up that was given us here of the earthly tabernacle. We have seen the demonstration of the ministries of the high priests and the priests of Levi within that earthly tabernacle. And all of that leading us to the greatest adventure that can be had this side of heaven, and that is a glimpse into heaven, a glimpse into heaven. We happen to be on the church calendar on Palm Sunday, one week out from Easter, from Resurrection Sunday. What an amazing event took place in Jerusalem where Jesus approaching for the great feast day sent disciples ahead and said you will find the colt of a donkey standing get it for me if you're asked tell the owner the Lord has need of it and it was so and they brought to him this unbroken colt of a, of a donkey And they put cloaks upon it. Jesus sat upon it. And in fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah, he began to enter the city of Jerusalem. And a flash mob occurred. You thought that was a modern thing? The word went out He's coming. And the crowds flocked to him. And some began to throw their cloaks on the ground before him so that this heretofore unbroken animal could walk across them. Only a horsebreaker can understand the magnitude of that little exercise. Miraculous. And then the palm fronds before him, hence the name, Palm Sunday. And they hailed him. And they shouted, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this, my brothers and sisters, was a glimpse. It was a glimpse of the kingdom. For the true king of Israel, he of the line of David, he the inheritor of all the glories of both God the Father and his father David was riding in according to the fulfillment of prophecy. And it was a moment. It was a brief spell that fell upon the people of Jerusalem. And they saw just a glimpse of the joy of the kingdom, of the glory of God with us just days before he would be gone, a glimpse. I've wanted to be there in that crowd, but I have since repented of that. As glorious as that glimpse would have been, there's nothing like the glory for which we wait when Christ returns the second time, apart from sin for final salvation. And in the meantime, we have a a glimpse that is given us sometimes of that kingdom. But now, in this text, we have a glimpse of heaven. That which sells so many books in the proper in the uh, popular markets of these people who believe they've seen heaven and come back. You know, I've read some of those accounts and looked into them and. I do not have any doubt they saw something, they experienced something, but I have every doubt that they experienced heaven. Bible tells me it's given unto man once to die. That's in the book of Hebrews. And after this, the judgment. So if you died and you weren't judged, you didn't die. That seems to be left out of many of these accounts. And I have a feeling even if you're covered by the blood of Christ at the judgment, it's not going to be all fuzzy and warm, full of lights with Aunt Josephine, etc. there. By the way, what's so great about seeing her anyway? Not that it wouldn't be nice to see family members. But if that's it, then that's not that much. amazing thing about heaven is this. God is there. And his son Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is ministering for his church, for us, there. That's what you need to see That's what you need to know. That's what you need to believe in faith. Not someone else's account. This is God's account where he gives us a true glimpse of the glorious happenings, the accomplishments of Jesus Christ as he ministers in heaven, which is the basis of our faith. And last week we looked at verses 11, 12 and 13 and we got a glimpse of the heavenly excuse <clears> me <throat> accomplishments of Jesus the heavenly accomplishments of Jesus This is significant and we need to note because they are not our accomplishments that we are paying attention to it is God's accomplishments that pay attention to us and affect us eternally. Jesus is ministering in that perfect tabernacle, verse 11. Jesus came as high priest of the good things that have come, better translation, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, listen, not made with hands, not of this creation. Not of this creation a God-made tabernacle in the heavens. This is where he ministers. He ministers not with the methodologies and the accomplishments of past priests of the order of Levi, Verse 12, with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, Jesus, this great high priest, entered the most holy place, the place where God's glory is, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So Jesus first accomplished eternal redemption. How long is eternity? Well, it's immeasurable, pastor, you'd say. You can't draw it as a line because eternity doesn't have a beginning, it doesn't have an end, and that's the whole point. It is beyond time. It is not a redemption, a buying back from slavery that is temporary and passing. It is permanent, that he accomplished a permanent Redemption and to be redeemed means to be bought at the price of a slave. The slave is purchased from his sin and set free eternally by the payment of Jesus Christ Himself, which He paid once for all by shedding His own blood. This is the glimpse of heaven. This is the thing you need to remember. We don't need to write a book about it. God wrote this book about it. We need to read this book about heaven and what takes place there so that our faith is not in somebody else's view of a bright light, but in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ brought to us. This is our faith. And he accomplished more by way of review, then bulls, goats, and heifers. Verse 13: for if, subjunctive, if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, which it does. It was an external sanctifying, an external setting apart for God's use, an external cleansing. Jesus did more, more than any priest that ever went before, more than any priest who now stands trying to minister for God in this world today. They are charlatans. There are no priests, but Jesus, the great high priest, he replaced them all. And how much more is where we are today? a glimpse of how much more in the heavenlies that Jesus is accomplishing, and he is accomplishing the purging of our conscience, of our consciences. Listen to verse 14, Hebrews 9 again. How much more? He said, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ass of a heifer can purify the uncleanness that man gets into by his sin and man was cleansed of into the Mosaic system, how much more shall the, whole, shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, listen, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God. Jesus accomplished the purging of our consciences. So much more to be seen. We begin in the first to unpack the truth of this, that Jesus accomplished the purging of our conscience by, in the first place, recognizing that this purging of our conscience is reflective. It is reflective of the Old Testament law of cleansing, of purging which means again to cleanse when one reflects one look back one looks back we get to the older stages of our life and we tend to reflect on our youth sometimes we pine away for the strength of youth and we reflect upon it and sometimes we look back at our youth and we reflect with agony our failures our youthful follies, etc. But this is reflective of the Mosaic system. So what the Mosaic law brought into place, what Jesus is doing is reflective of it. It looks back on it, but yet goes on to much more. The laws of cleansing were very detailed. Under that Mosaic law, it was very easy to become unclean. As we studied last week, even the necessity when anyone had touched anyone or anything dead, there was a ceremonial pronouncement that that person was then unclean and they had to leave the camp of Israel and be outside Not among their family, not among their friends, not among their people. It illustrated that sin and death, when it touched you, it made you have to leave the people of God. And only going through the seven-day ritual of re-cleansing oneself that included the ashes of a red heifer, as is mentioned in verse 13, but now more so, we're going to go into another picture of cleansing and we go to leprosy. Leprosy. One of the most terrifying diseases in the ancient world was the disease leprosy. The malady that desensitized the nervous system such that the person could no longer recognize when they were hurting themselves and so applied too much pressure to their hands, to their face, when they would scratch it, to their body, when they would do work. They did not notice the damage, they did not notice the destruction, and so destroyed themselves. It is indicative of sin. Sin when it's first entered into seems great, it seems joyous, it seems fulfilling. Just do it! And there's no real immediate consequences. Unless, of course, you're caught right away. But if not, it only goes inside and it festers and it starts to grow there and it becomes a a deep disease within you and you no longer realize that by following it, you're hurting yourself, you're destroying your own body, you're falling apart. So leprosy is used to picture the effects of sin in the Old Testament And even in the new, Jesus meets lepers. And in the case we're going to look at this morning in Matthew chapter 8, he meets a leper who has taken the brave act of trying to approach Jesus. He's an unclean man. He is supposed to announce His presence to everyone by shouting unclean. He's supposed to stay away from the clean people so he does not defile them so that they have to be outside of the camp until they're cleansed. This is like sin. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, we read, When he, Jesus, had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper... Behold a leper. Why behold? Behold, because a leper came and worshipped him. Lepers aren't supposed to come and worship him. Everyone who was following him in that multitude would have shrank back. You think the COVID mask thing was bad. It ain't nothing to leprosy. That made people afraid. That no one wanted. The leper the outcast the outcast from society the unclean the lonely the wretched the refused behold a leper came and worshiped him worship jesus listen saying listen to this confession lord no one the bible tells us no one can say jesus is lord apart from the spirit he says lord if you are willing you can make me clean by the way you can you can pray that that is a proper prayer and proper worship lord if you're willing We don't know if he's willing or not. He may want you to go through the trial you're going through, just like with Paul. Paul said, I have a thorn in my flesh. The Lord gave it to me. I asked the Lord three times to take it from me, and the Lord answered me and said, My grace is sufficient for thee. If it's according to his will, he'll take it away. If it's not according to his will, and it's according to his will that you mature through it, he'll leave it in place. He prayed right. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He believes the power that Jesus wields, the power of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus, verse 3, put out his hand and touched him. No one touches lepers voluntarily. Jesus in compassion. Jesus in ministry reached out his hand, and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be, listen, cleansed. Didn't say healed. He said cleansed. He's unclean. He's untouchable. He's outcast. Because of leprosy, he's unclean according to the law. Immediately, we read, his leprosy was cleansed, not healed, cleansed. He became clean. Jesus said to him, now listen to this. Jesus now orders him according to the law of Moses, under which they are still walking, because Jesus has not yet died to institute the new covenant. And Jesus walked under the law, and he fulfilled the law, though in history past he was part of the writing of that law. But as a man, he walked according to the law. And Jesus said to him, quote, See that you, you leper, tell no one, but go your way, Show yourself, listen, to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What is he talking about? He's talking about the laws of cleanliness with regard to lepers. And for that, we turn in our Bibles to the Old Testament, Leviticus, the book of Leviticus is most certainly a book of the law. You should read this. It will give you the heart of God, the mind of God, the spirit of God, about himself in his holiness, and the necessity of complete purity when approaching him. With regard to leprosy, we turn to Leviticus 14, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper. There's a law for lepers, and here it is. For the day of his cleansing. The law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. This is what Jesus was commanding the leper to do after he'd been cleansed. He shall be brought to the priest. Jesus said, go, show yourself to the priest. He shall be brought to the priest. Now listen to verse 3. And the priest shall go out of the camp. The leper really can't come in yet. The priest has to go out to him. And the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed, listen, two living and clean birds, cedar wood scarlet, and hyssop. You will be reminded of the cedarwood, scarlet, hyssop from the rite of the red heifer from last week. But now reading on Leviticus fourteen five, And the priest shall co- command that one of the birds be killed. Listen. In an earthen vessel over running water, You didn't know that, did you? Because you've not been a leper in Israel. Cleansed. 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 And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. Over running, better translation, living water. As for the living bird, listen, he shall take it the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, now listen, and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. One dies to mark the blood needed for cleansing. One is dipped in the cleansing blood and set free in the open field. The greatest bondage most humans would ever know is the bondage of the disease of leprosy to watch that decay, for your own visage to become hideous to yourself and to others, for your fingers to rot off, for your toes to be worn off, to become a cripple and eventually subside to the disease's internal corruption. Cleansed by blood and set free. His leprosy has flown away on the wings of a bird. It is symbolic. This is what we reflect upon when we read the words here in Hebrew How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot that means clean. Two clean birds. Clean. Sacrifice himself on your behalf. To purge your conscience. The purging. To clean you. Of all leprosy. The sin, if you will, and when we compare it to that with our salvation, has been cleansed. That is the reflective picture of cleansing under the rite of leprosy. Jesus accomplished that, and more so spiritually. Jesus accomplished the purging of our conscience, and it is then secondly, number two, realized fully in the cleansing blood of Christ." Back to the word purge. Purge your conscience. Cleanse your conscience. A purging. This is not an external cleansing like was done under the law of the lepers, under the law of the red heifer. This is the cleansing that is internal purification. Outwardly, most certainly men, are unclean, but it is the inward that God cares about. Those things that are done on the outside, Jesus even explained, even when his disciples were accused of breaking the law by taking some wheat along the way, crumbling it in their hands to take the outer shell off and eating it on the Sabbath, they were accused of breaking the Sabbath. Jesus said, Don't you know that what's put into the mouth and goes out, it is voided, it doesn't touch the body. But he said, what proceeds from the mouth, what proceeds from the mouth of man is what defiles him. So as the heart, Jesus said, so the mouth speaks. It is an internal an internal expression through the mouth that you're unclean by what you say. We need an internal purification, and Jesus' accomplishment in heaven is to purge our conscience, to get it out of us, purge, is In the Greek, and I only used that this morning, katharizo, because this active word, this verb, is synonymous to our English word, catharsis. Many of you are familiar with the instrument in the medical world of a catheter, which purges, removes what needs to come out. It cleanses. So the catharizzo, the purging of your conscience, is to make it free from the guilt of sin. This word means to free from the guilt of sin, to purify. In regard to conscience, you know, people don't talk about conscience very much anymore. You know, it used to be, you know, doesn't your conscience bother you? people would say, well, what about your conscience? And, and people seem to even be going, I, well, I don't even know if there is one. Well, actually, the Bible tells us that conscience is real, that conscience has been given to every man, no matter what they have heard and know. They know good and evil because they have a conscience. And the Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 2, does a discourse on the Gentiles who've never heard anything from the law of Moses, yet they seem to know what's right and wrong before God without having been told. This is an amazing thing, but it is the proof that God put a conscience in every man. And in the book of Romans, chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, I read, For there is no partiality with God. Boy, that's good to know. Unlike our justice system, that's for free. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. So if you know the law, you're guilty and you'll be judged. And if you don't know the law, you're guilty and you'll be judged. Either way, you're going to be judged. Verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, listen, but the doers of the law will be justified. Verse 14, when Gentiles, that's all of us who aren't Hebrews or aren't Jews, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law, listen now, by nature Do the things contained in the law, and by the way, what is contained in the law? That is glorifying God by doing what's right before Him. Do the things contained in the law. These also, listen, not even having the law are a law unto themselves. You ever heard being judged by your own conscience? That does apply to how God will judge you Because you know. Verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. What? Written in their hearts by whom? Well, who can write on hearts? Answer, only God who show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness. So within every human, within you, within me, within every child that is born, it starts right away, it starts witnessing, testifying that's right, that's wrong, even from the cradle a child knows. Can I have an amen? There people with some kids out there. A conscience also bearing witness between and between themselves, listen, their thoughts. This is the amazing thing about the conscience. Their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Well, how does that work? I don't know. But I know it works in me. I know the Bible says it works in all of us. So it's working in you. And it's working in every single person in this city, and every city, and every town, and every byway, and every countryside, whether they're walking down the road or sleeping at night, they know truth. They know right and wrong. It's in them. And in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, Men will be without excuse. Men know there's a conscience. And you know, your conscience, when it's, when it's guilty, how does it feel? Does it feel good? No, you don't, you don't sing, I feel good then. No, there's no, I feel good. You feel bad. It affects your countenance, your walk, your day, your relationship with others, When you are convicted by your own thoughts that come from your own conscience that is somehow connected to your mind and talks to yourself, and you're guilty and you're just dead, aren't you? We're just dead. You're just, you're pierced through. And what are you going to do? That is the weight of sin. That is the condemnation of sin. We need to bring back these words to discourse. You can't tell someone about the gospel until you can tell them about their sin, which they already know about. You don't have to convince them, you just have to say it. Their conscience will do the rest. And then you can show them the way in which the conscience can be purged of guilt wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be fine? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, this is an accomplishment of Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm, and we're taking a glimpse of Him in heaven, purging your conscience. Behold! Do you believe this? You know, some Christians, I'm convinced, like to have a guilty conscience like to live there, like to wallow in it. Just stay there. I'm horrible. I'm terrible. even give him a compliment. No, I'm not horrible. I'm a worm. I know that, but rejoice in the Lord. We're all worms. We all have sinned and gone astray. We are all starting out as by nature, children of wrath and worthy of his judgment. That's true, but what happened to you? Are you under the active work of God in heaven through his son, Jesus Christ, who accomplished for you eternal redemption or not? Or are you going to stay guilty so that he knows you're guilty enough? THAT CAN BE DESCRIBED AS UNHOLY PENANCE. IF YOU SINNED, WE KNOW WHAT TO DO. WE KNOW WHAT TO DO. WE DON'T WALLOW IN IT. WE GO TO THE HIGH PRIEST. LISTEN TO 1 JOHN 1, VERSE 7. BUT IF WE WALK IN THE LIGHT, as he is the light. That's what happens to you when you are saved. You're given the light. You become a follower of the light. Then you walk in the light of Jesus Christ. If We walk in the light as he is the light, John tells us. We have fellowship with one another. Inside the camp, we're with the people of God. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, listen. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, pay attention. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us, purges us from all sin. How much sin? All. Not partial. All. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we have sin. That's a given. But how do you live? With sin, even with your conscience, you do this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us and to purge us of all unrighteousness. Can I have an amen? That's what you put your faith in. Not in how much I can work up a completely guilty feeling constantly for everything I did from the day that I can remember back to in my life until today, and give yourself a constant beating over the head of your unworthiness, of your guilt that you've done, and the anger, and the pain that you've caused. Get over it. I'm not saying take sin lightly. I'm saying once you've been forgiven, be cleansed in your conscience. And then we're going to put in there how this works, and I wanted to make this a separate point because I want to hammer this home because it's being hammered from the other side in error. And I mean the other side of truth. Error and the world system wants to undermine this next point the most. Jesus accomplished the purging of our conscience. Now three, realizing completely, releasing, excuse me, not releasing, releasing completely from the unclean dead works. Releasing us completely from unclean dead works. He'll purge your conscience from dead works. We have seen dead works once before, back in chapter 6 of Hebrews. When you turn back to chapter 6, verse 1, he has just admonished in chapter 5. And maybe we just take a little foray to chapter 5 just ever so quickly and remind ourselves what the context is. The Hebrews that are being written to here are being admonished for being babies in their faith, ignorant, willingly refusing to grow up, and he they're admonished in this way. Listen, verse 12, Hebrews 5, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need of someone to teach you again the first principles. This is like the ABCs of the oracles of God. Listen, Here's where, boy, this really tears into them. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Wah, 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 you're a bunch of babies. You can't handle the deep truths of the faith. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Their conscience even and their mind now knows what's right and wrong and good and evil. You need to grow up, he says. And then he mentions in this way, chapter 6, verse 1, leaving, therefore leaving, the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let's go on to maturity. That's the Greek word there. Maturity. Not perfection. To maturity. Let, not laying again the foundation. Listen, not laying again the Foundation, the most elementary principle he mentions first is this foundational principle in Christ. It is repentance from dead works and faith toward God. If you get that, your life is going to grow up. But many of us here today, and many people in the sound of my voice, have never transported themselves from the infantile, they're still back messing around with dead works, they haven't repented from them, they're still after them, and turned to faith in Christ. That's the difference between being in a true religion and a false religion. Faith in Christ is true religion. Every other false religion, dead works, even if that religion is the Mosaic law. Thinking by keeping it, you are saving yourself. So leaving that discussion of the elementary principles. Now here again, we find him mentioning that Jesus Christ in this work, this accomplishment as a high priest in heaven, sacrificing his own blood, cleansing our conscience. And what is he cleansing our conscience from? Dead works. So the question is, what is that? And how do I repent from that? turn away from that, and how do I have my conscience cleaned from dead works? Right? Right. Glad you asked. I'll answer. I answer from the text. You see, there is a trap that every false religion, including false religion of the Hebrews, follows. It's called legalism. It is the external keeping of rules, regulations, laws as a method of earning, of earning a higher standing with God by your excellence in doing them. They're called dead works because when you work them, say, look, I kept the Ten Commandments. By the way, there was a rich man that came to Jesus and said he kept all the commandments since his youth. What an amazing young man. He said, I want to follow you. Jesus said, well, keep these commandments. And he said, oh, I have from my youth. Well, Jesus, being the nice guy that he is, and also knowing how to hit to the matter, not by making a statement like I might have made, like liar, liar, pants on fire, which never helps the conversation. I found out too late in life, To really use that in the right way. So I bring it here. All that said. Jesus says well then do this. Go sell all you have. And come follow me. He gave him a work. He gave him a work to do. Here do this. Be noble. Be spiritual. Be righteous. Go sell all you have. Come follow me. And he he went away sad. I'm not doing that. That's one work I can't do. The Bible tells us because he was very rich. Very rich. All his works were dead anyway. Jesus was just exposing him that the works he thinks he was doing are dead. And it was proven. The Pharisees were those who brought in this way of thinking in their attempt to restore, in their attempt to be, hear me, conservative. Did I just say that in church? I did. I'm not saying be liberal. I'm just saying without Christ, without the Bible governing any of those things, it's sinful. And will become sinful very shortly. The Pharisees were a sect that came up to make sure Israel didn't break the law and have to go into bondage again. So they became keepers of the law. They trained people to keep the law. And then they thought, well, we got to help these people. These people stink at this, which they do, which we do. So they made more laws, their own laws, laws to keep them away from breaking God's laws. So if there's a law, if you'll let me use this illustration, say the law of God said... You can't walk on the grass of the boulevard. That's kind of been a statute, kind of a law that used to be around. You can't walk on that grass. Well, the Pharisees said, well, if they walk on the sidewalk, that's going to be awfully close to the grass, and they might just stumble and fall into the grass and break God's law. So we're gonna make another law and add it to God's law of don't walk on the boulevard grass, and we'll say no walking on the sidewalks. So now nobody can walk on the sidewalks, and nobody knows why we can't walk on the sidewalks or on that, but we know we shouldn't. And then they say, you know, that's too close too. They're walking down. Let's make sure nobody can walk along the curb either. So then we got everybody walking down the middle of the street. And people are looking at, why are we doing such a stupid thing? And nobody knows, because it's a tradition, and everybody's done it. Well, because you don't walk on the sidewalk. Well, then what's the sidewalk for? It ain't for you. And you say, well, that's stupid, pastor. Yes, it is. It's stupid to keep man's laws that don't save you when God didn't give them. It's stupid. They're dead. And they followed these things to such an extent that they lost God and found themselves and labeled themselves righteous. They had a faith in themselves, a self-reliance in their abilities to follow the law better than anyone else. But Jesus came, and when Jesus was here, he talked to them thus. The most fastidious lawkeepers ever been on the face of the earth. Matthew 23, verse 25. He pronounces on them woes, which mean judgments. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence blind pharisee first listen to the words from the law first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outs that the outside of them may be clean also you need internal cleansing to be purged from dead works 27 Matthew 23 woe to you judgment on you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones, and listen, and all uncleanness. Can you imagine what they are thinking in their hearts? These are the most clean people that have ever lived in Israel. They keep themselves so clean, they won't touch a dead body to save your life. They will not be made unclean. The leper has no mercy from them. They are more concerned about their ceremonial external cleanness than they are about mercy. They're unclean. Jesus pronounces them outside the camp is what he's saying. Not of the people. You're in trouble with God. Verse 28, even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." I think they were probably surprised at this, and not just a little bit angry, wondering why did they hang him on the cross? Right here, he's attacking their dead works, and they said, you can't do that because we're the best at dead works that anybody's ever been. And we've decided we're cleaner than anyone else. And we are righteous. And that's why Jesus said, I did not come to save the righteous. I came to save the unrighteous. If you think you're righteous by what you do, you're dead. You need saving. But you don't want saving because you're good. When you know you're not good, your conscience is saying, you're bad, you're bad, you've done wrong, you deserve this. You deserve God's wrath. Then Jesus saves you. I mean, can you even imagine this this whole picture, you know? I don't like to do dishes. It's just true. And he says, you you like these dishes where you clean the outside and then you, you take them and you hide them in the cupboard, Right? They're all stacked up. The inside isn't clean. It's full of that stuff. Oh, man, look at that tomato stuff from the pasta. Oh, boy, what was that? Was that some kind of gravy? And then you take them out, and you put them on the table in front of the company and say, look how clean we are. And your company's going, "Ah, ah, it's unclean. I ain't eating off that. I am not eating out of that. How do I get out of here without eating? That's the picture. Jesus goes on to say, "These therefore your witnesses against yourselves, that your sons, listen, that your sons of those who murdered the prophets, fill up then the measure of your father's guilt, serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Who wants to be a Pharisee? Raise your hand. But some of you want to be a Pharisee because you're not allowing The truth of this doctrine to permeate your heart and walk in faith. He said he purged your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The dead works, even thinking by keeping everything that God ever said in the Bible will save us, is a lie. God never said, do everything exactly as I said in the entire Bible, and thou shalt be saved, did he? No, he said, believe on me, the Son of God, and thou shalt be saved. What are we believing? We're believing that he's ministering as we glimpse into heaven on the holy tabernacle of God. With his own blood, he delivered the purging of your conscience from dead works, counting how good you are. As a means of getting into heaven, when that's not what saves you. Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul exhorts Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. What kind of bondage is he talking about? He's even talking about the right of becoming part of Israel through circumcision and then keeping the law. Look at verse 2. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor, listen, to keep the whole law. You want to be a law keeper? Now you're in debt to keep all of it, which means you're condemned in dead works. Verse 4, you become estranged from Christ, you who have attempted to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Let me tell you something. Your conscience of many, many Christians are tortured by themselves because of false teaching you've got in the past or your own inclination of perfectionism where you want to work your way to heaven and to say, I'm better than him because I don't do that. I'm better than them because I do this. You're not better than anybody. That's the point. And if you're keeping that kind of a doctrine and you're plaguing your conscience with that kind of guilt, when Jesus Christ has shown you in heaven what he did to purge your conscience, then you're going the wrong direction and you'll never know liberty. Take my yoke. My yoke is light. He didn't say there wasn't something to carry. He just said his yoke is light. But let me take you back to chapter 6 again where it said repentance from dead works and faith toward Christ. It's one or the other. You're either trying to do works to get yourself saved or you believe in Jesus Christ and the work he accomplished on the cross and then in heaven on your behalf and you say to your conscience I have confessed my sin Jesus God has said is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness he has purged me of my uncleanness I am flying away free Hebrews started this way and we forgot. Hebrews 1.3 He being the brightness of his glory this is Jesus and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power listen, when he had by himself not with your help by himself purged our sin sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Mission accomplished. So then Peter says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, not of dead works, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. May I say this? Everyone who is trusted in Jesus Christ has a high priest who offered his own blood. He's purchased an eternal redemption for you. He's gone beyond the blood of bulls and goats and of heifers and he shed his own blood once for all and he has purged your conscience from dead works. Now get up and live free free indeed. Amen Let's pray hallelujah, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I urge, Lord, through your power, bring someone here today who's been working their way to heaven. Purge their conscience that they've been afflicting with their own lists. Get them gone. And free them to rejoice in your saving work for we've seen into heaven. We've glimpsed your redemption. We've been affected by your work of purging us and making us clean. May our shield of faith be lifted with the truth that we trust in your high priestly work and have purged our conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.